this morning. If, if you're staying in here, um, we're going to be continuing our way through the Gospel of Mark, and we are in uh, Mark chapter 10, and we're actually going to be finishing up Mark 10 this morning. We've been working through this kind of section of the Gospel that began back with that first healing of the blind man. You remember where there was two-stage healing of a blind man? Um, and, and Jesus has been focusing on what does it mean now to follow him? What does it mean to follow the Christ, the one who is going to Jerusalem to suffer and die? What does it look like? What does it mean to follow him? And it should be no surprise that as this section of scripture kind of concludes, next week we'll, we'll see Jesus enter into Jerusalem. It should be no surprise that it's here bookended on the other end with another healing of a blind man. Let's look at it now. Verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a great crowd, uh, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up, and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight, and he followed him. On the way, let's pray. Oh, Father, would you teach us this morning? Jesus, would you teach us, uh, in fact, even today, to learn more of what it is to uh, follow you? We pray that in our time this morning, we would ultimately behold our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So one of the um, blessings, I've had the opportunity over my years as a pastor to interact with lots of different people. And one of the things that you find yourself interacting with, you find yourself interacting with a lot of blind people um, who think they can see. And what do I mean by that? In that I, I can remember, like at a former church, regularly, um, a gentleman, whenever he saw my truck sitting out uh, once a month or so, he would stop by the church. And he would be in desperate need of gas. Uh, his gas tank would be on empty, and he's coming by, could, 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 you, could you help me? And I would end up, with, okay, let's drive to the gas station. We'd go, and I'd talk to him while we were there. And I'd encourage him, you know, we'd love to help you more, uh, more than just filling up your tank every now and then. And he'd say, oh, no, this is the last time. You know, I've got a great job in front of me. I, I, I'm good. I'm good. And yet he'd always come back. You see, he was blind, but he didn't know it. He thought he could see. I've seen people in my counseling, in the, in the office, and in the midst of counseling, like somebody's coming to me, they, they, they've had an addiction in the past, alcohol, pornography, whatever it is, and, and they've had that struggle, and, and then they come, and, and I'm talking with them, they, we got, I got this. I, I no longer struggle with that anymore. I've been given victory over that. I don't need to worry about that anymore, Steve. And then inevitably, a few weeks later, a month or two later, there's been the DUI, or there's been the relapse of whatever it is, because they thought they could see, but they were really, they were still blinded, right? And on a few, and unfortunately far fewer occasions, there's been people who've come in, and they come in, and they, they can actually see, it seems. 
These are more rare. And how is it that they come in and they're able to see? They're able to see because they see that they're kind of helpless and they desperately need help. And they're coming and they're wanting help and you, you, you tell them and you give them something to do. You give them some homework or whatever and they come back and they've done it. Okay, what's next? They feel helpless. They know they can't do it on their own. They know they don't have the power and their strength in and of themselves uh, to be able to do it. You see, they're blind people who think they can see. What, which one of these people are you? Are you the blind person who thinks he can see or are you the person who can actually see? I fear so much we're actually in that first category of, of we think we can see, but we're actually pretty blinded. We, of course, have a blind man in our story this morning. They came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Here he is. He's kind of in this ideal spot on the, on the path to, to Jerusalem. It's the place you'd want to be if you were a beggar. But this guy, he has some major setbacks in his life. He's blind. And, and he has seemingly nobody to care for him because he has to beg for sustenance. So he sits there day after day after day begging. And it seems as though maybe he's pretty well known. I mean, this is the only miracle that we see in Mark. This is the only person's name that is listed connected with their miracle in the book of Mark. Um, I don't think that's completely by chance. He must have been well known. And people would pass by and they would give something to him from, from time to time. And, and what is it that we learn about this man as we continue on? When, we, we, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, what did he begin to do? He began to cry out. He began to cry out. He, 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 he began to issue desperate cries. He desperately wanted help. But what do we see the people around him doing in verse 48? The, the crowd, you know, they're following Jesus. Everybody's excited and and many rebuked him, what? Telling him to be silent. Now, that reminds me of just a little bit earlier in, in chapter 10 of Mark. Remember, the little children were coming to Jesus, and what were the disciples doing? They were rebuking the people. No, 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 keep them away from Jesus. Jesus doesn't have time to mess with little kids. And Jesus said, no, bring them to me. Now the crowds are doing the same thing. They're rebuking, here's this man who is in desperate need and they try to silence him. They won't want him to mess up whatever it is that's going on. They're excited. There's, there's this big parade of people going on. They don't want the good times to stop. To meet this man who's in desperate need, how often do we not slow down? How often do we not slow down to give mercy when mercy is needed? We just go running by because, because you know, we, we got more important things to do. There's more important things going on in our life. And there is this man, and what is he saying over and over again? Have mercy on me. He's issuing a desperate cry. He knows his incredibly desperate need. He, he knows that he can't fix his life. He's desperate. Do you, as, as we come here this morning, do you, do we really understand our need? Do we understand how needy we really are? Do, do we think that we are like this blind beggar? Do we think we're that desperate without Jesus? Do we understand that, that without Jesus we are as desperate as a blind beggar on the side of the road? Not, well, I, I'm pretty good. I can, I can kind of carry things along. No. We're just as desperate because without Jesus, we don't have anything. 
And so he's crying out, have mercy on me, but that's not all he's crying out. So he's, he's crying out in a way, making it clear that he sees his need, okay? But he also says something else that's incredible. He says, Jesus, son of David. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he, and he keeps repeating it, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he keeps saying it over and over. The people are getting frustrated at him. This is the first time in the book of Mark that title's used, Son of David. Now, back in chapter 8, Peter had proclaimed that Jesus is the Christ, right? The Messiah. And here's this blind guy on the side of the road, and he's proclaiming, in a sense, the same thing. That this is the Messiah, this is the long-promised one. He's saying he's the Son of David. He's thinking back to, to passages like Jeremiah 23, which says this, Behold, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. There was this longing, this expectation of this forever king that was going to come from the line of David. And here is this blind beggar on the side of the road, saying that Jesus is that forever king. Do you understand how profound that is? And how profound it is that it's Bartimaeus that's saying it. And people are trying to silence him. And yet he can't help but speak out. It it seems incredible that in the midst of this situation, here's Jesus, here's the crowd, and it seems like the blind Bartimaeus is the only one who can see. Do you understand that? Yes, he couldn't physically see. But he seems to have spiritual eyes that that everybody around him doesn't seem to have. And I think part of it is because his blindness in that way has actually been a blessing for him. You see, his blindness actually allows him to see spiritually in a sense. He's aware of his desperate need. He, He knows how he can't make life work on his own. He's desperately dependent on others, and it's because of his understanding of his desperate need that he's able to really see Jesus. I think part of the problem with everybody else, everybody else who was on that road with Jesus, they thought they, you know, maybe I kind of need him, maybe I sort of need him, but they didn't come with the same kind of neediness that we see Bartimaeus coming with. And, and here it is. Before the triumphal entry, we'll, we'll, we'll be there next week. And we'll see that triumphal entry and we'll, we'll see the people lay down their, their, their coats, right? And, and lay down their branches and, and they'll say, Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest, right? They'll be singing that. But before they ever say that, before those crowds are ever proclaiming that Jesus is the son of David, it's the blind Bartimaeus that's saying it. That's profound. The blind Bartimaeus beats him to the punch. He seems to see Jesus clearly when nobody else seems to really see him clearly. I think he's fulfilling those words of Hebrews 11, you know them, faith is being sure of what we hope for, being certain of what we do not see. Doesn't that describe Bartimaeus? Can't even see, and yet he's so certain. He knows, he knows his need, and he knows who this is in front of him. You see, when we can begin, like Bartimaeus, to understand our desperate need, how much we can't do life on our own, 
how we can't make all this work on our own. We can't just pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, as it were. When we see our desperate need that we can't do life without him, it's then that we're able to have eyes to really see. As long as we're dependent on ourselves, dependent on the things of this world, looking to all these other things, we won't be able to truly and fully see. So Bartimaeus here, he shows us that we, that, that we need to see our neediness in order to be able to see. And then, of course, we have this incredible interaction between him and Jesus. I don't know if you happened to see it over the summer. There was uh, kind of a, a popular video passed around the Internet for just a short period of time. Um, in Florida, there was this lady who got in a little bit of an accident or whatever, and one of her, her tires blew out, and so she's on the side of, uh, of I-75 in Florida. And the police pull up, and so you see the dash cam footage uh, from the police car, and you see this big, hulking guy standing beside the lady's car. Um, the, the police issued a press release uh, just a little bit after it, and this is what they said yesterday. Shaquille O'Neal um, was traveling through the county on I-75 when he witnessed a crash. He stopped to check on the welfare of the driver and remained with her until law enforcement arrived. He fist-bumped the deputies before going on his way. Now, if you were stranded on the side of the road, Basketball Hall of Famer Shaquille O'Neal is probably not the person you think is going to suddenly come to your rescue, Right? You would certainly think, you know, you might expect somebody to stop, but not him. He's got better things to do, right? This isn't the type of person to stop. And yet he did. We see something similar, not the same, but we see something similar with Jesus in the story. Jesus is on a mission. Okay, he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's been telling his disciples, he's now told them three times about it. I got to go to Jerusalem. and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. We're going to see him going into Jerusalem next week. He's intent upon the path that he's going, and he's on his way, and nothing's going to stop him. Well, almost nothing. Somebody who's desperately in need slows him down. We see in Mark 10, verse 49, and Jesus stopped and said to him, and said, call him. Jesus stopped. Doesn't Jesus have better things to do? I mean, he's on his way to Jerusalem. Passion Week's about to begin. But he has time for one last miracle. This is the last miracle we see in the Gospel of Mark. He has time to heal this blind man. And it's no accident. I said this earlier. It's no accident that it's a blind man and that it happens right here. Back in Mark 8, we saw that first healing of the blind man that I mentioned earlier. That, that, that man who was, he was healed in two stages. Do you remember that? You know, at first he kind of sees dimly and he says, oh, what do you see? Well, it looks like trees, the people look like trees walking. And then he does it in a second stage and then he can see clearly. And it was meant to be this picture of the way discipleship often works. Of how we first see dimly and then hopefully eventually we see clearly. It's in fact the path that the disciples have, have been on, right? Right after that story, what does Peter do? He confesses Jesus as the Christ. This incredible moment in the, in the book of Mark. And then Jesus begins to teach them about what the Christ must do, that he must suffer and he must die. And what does Peter then do? By no means, no way. I'm not going to let that happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. 
And what do we see there? We see that Peter, he, he sees dimly. He doesn't see clearly. He's just seeing trees walking. He doesn't see yet with clarity. And we, we continue to see that as, as things unfold from, from Mark 8 on. And Jesus, two more times for a total of three times, has to remind his disciples of where he's going, where his path is taking him, that he must suffer and that he must die. And now, on the other end of that, on the other end of this kind of section in the book of Mark, we have this healing of Bartimaeus. It kind of forms a sandwich between those passages that are teaching the disciples what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to follow the one that is going to his death. And it's no mistake that it's the healing of another blind man. A blind man, I think, that's going to actually, he's an incredible, helpful example, in fact, of what discipleship, what a disciple is to, to really look like. Now, so Jesus, he stops. And he calls, call him, can, can, can you get him? And then we see continuing in that verse, and they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. Now I hope you notice something there. These are the same people that just a moment before were rebuking him. They're telling him, be quiet. And then Jesus says those words, well, call him. And suddenly they're saying, hey, ta- <laughs> you see it, take heart. They're basically saying, hey, cheer up. You know, it's like a switch suddenly flipping. Those who didn't want to give any mercy, Jesus says, oh, yeah, we we love to give mercy out. How often we can look like that when we don't have those true hearts for the needy. And I think Jesus, even in just teaching them that, it's, it's his way of rebuking their rebuke. He's teaching them that they should have hearts for people like Bartimaeus. People who are crying out for mercy, they should have incredible hearts for him and for them, for those needy. And then it continues, verse 50. And throwing off his cloak, this is Bartimaeus, and throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and he came to Jesus. You see, when it starts hearing through the crowd, he's hearing at third person that Jesus is calling him. Can you imagine what went through his mind? I mean, yes, he'd been calling out for Jesus, but he must have been wondering, is Jesus going to really respond? He must have been thinking, the, the king? The, the, the great king? The forever king? The son of David? The Messiah? The Christ? He, he wants me? And what does he do? He just... He jumps up, he throws his, down his cloak, and he, he went running to Jesus. He left everything behind. He did what we saw a little bit earlier in chapter 10, which the rich young man couldn't do, right? The rich young man, he went away sad. And yet here we have Bartimaeus. He, he hasn't even actually spoken to Jesus, okay? He's not even in Jesus' immediate presence. He's just heard word from Jesus via third person. And he jumps up. He leaves everything behind. He, he leaves his cloak behind. He, he leaves, and in that cloak would have been all that monies that he was collecting. And he just leaves it all behind. <laughs> it's a safety blanket, if you will, in a quite literal way. He would, he would need it that night to sleep in. 
Not to mention to buy food, some bread, some meager bread for him that night. It was his security. But when he hears the call of Jesus, he leaves it behind. The only thing that he had that could bring him security. And he leaves it behind him. What are you? As we approach this, as we think about this ourselves, are there things that you and I need to leave behind? Are there those things that we look to for our security that we need to let go of? And I know we don't like to hear that because that's hard. We don't want to do that. You know, I was mentioning a few illustrations earlier of some people I've had to operate to minister to and I think of that man who'd stop by to get gas but he, he couldn't receive more help he couldn't admit how needy he really was all he had was that truck and a little tiny trailer that he lived in he didn't, he didn't have much of anything but that was his security that's where he found his security and trying to keep his own life going making his, his own life work. He thought he could see, but he was blind. You and I, we need to be careful because we can fool ourselves into thinking that we can see and actually be very blinded, very blinded by these things that we look to for our security. And looking to them instead of to Jesus, his call to leave behind whatever it is that we really depend on instead of him. So the guy, he's given up everything. He's given up his security and he goes to Jesus. And now he hears here in front of him and Jesus asks him a question. Now the interesting thing here, this, if you were really paying attention last week, this question shouldn't, um, should have sounded very familiar to you. So I want to read last week from last week's passage first. James and John were with Jesus. And Jesus asks James and John a question. He says this, what do you want me to do for you? That's the question. And what is their response? Do you remember? Would you grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in glory? That's their request. These are his disciples, the ones who've been with him, the ones who know him the best, and they say, we want to sit with you in glory. We want the best seats in the house. Now Jesus comes to Bartimaeus, and he asks the exact same question. Word for word, no surprise, not a mistake. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. Remember those, that staged healing of, of blindness in Mark 8? James and John, they, they see Jesus. That's why they're asking what they're asking but they still don't see Jesus clearly. They still don't quite get what it means. They know he's the great king, but they still haven't quite wrestled and quite gripped the king that he is, the king that's going to die, and what that means for their life. But the blind man, Bartimaeus, the unlikely one, he, he seems to see with incredible clarity. He, he doesn't ask for prestige. He doesn't ask for prominence in the kingdom. He just asks that his sight would be restored. 
He asked for mercy over and over again. Would you just have mercy upon me? I, I know I don't deserve it. I know I've done nothing to earn it. You see, he, in a way, unlike the disciples, he doesn't ask for stuff. He asks, he asks for a cure. He doesn't ask for stuff, he asks for a cure. I'm reminded of kind of at the end, towards the end of the Lord of the Rings. There's a moment where Aragorn, he's returned as the rightful king to his kingdom. He hasn't like taken over the throne yet and there's some folks talking on the inside and there's been this horrible battle. Lots of people are dead and others are very badly wounded and there's this conversation that says, basically, we'll know when the real king comes back. And the way that we'll know that is this, that the hands of the king are the hands of the healer. That's how they would know that Aragorn was the rightful king because he ends up coming in and what does he do? He ends up healing so many of the people because the hands of the king are the hands of a healer. The king brings the cure and the king and and Bartimaeus seemed to understand that. Bartimaeus seemed to understand that Jesus, the son of David, the great king, he brought the cure. And you and I, we need to understand that he brings the cure to us. His healing hands aren't just for blind blindness, physical blindness. They're for the spiritual blindness that we suffer from. The way in which you and I, we, we struggle to really believe it's all true. The way in which we, we, we go off on our own way and our own tangents in our life. We allow ourselves to be deceived by sin. And the whole time, the hands of the healer are waiting and desiring and wanting to give us the cure. How do you answer Jesus' question? What do you want me to do for you? Do you want stuff? Do you have, whenever you hear that question, do you have, oh, I got a long list. I got a long list of things that I want from Jesus. Or do you see and do you understand that what you really need is a cure? That you really need healing within more and more. You need to, 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 him to be at work continually through you through that incredible work of the Holy Spirit helping you to die more and more to sin and live more and more to righteousness. That You, you, you need that at work within you, changing you from the inside out. That you, you, that's what you need. That you're needy. Still, not just that you have all this other list stuff to do. No, you have a deep, deep, we all have a deep, deep heart need. And your answer, my answer to that question, what do you want me to do for you, it tells us a lot about where we're at spiritually. Whether we're completely blind, whether we're maybe blind and just see trees walking, or whether maybe we can see. And we can see because we we see and recognize how needy, how incredibly needy we are. So Jesus responds, responds to him, and he says in verse 52, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him on the way. Can you imagine that moment for Bartimaeus? (laughs) When his eyes, that moment that his eyes were first able to see. 
He's able, he sees all of this around. He sees the wonder, these things that he's only been able to touch. They suddenly come into focus before him. He sees the incredible colors. You'd be tempted to go run around and just see this city that you've been living in. Find that place where you've been sleeping and just see it all and to see people's face. And, and, and no doubt, Bartimaeus did some looking around in awe. But at the same time, our, our, our text tells us that he was laser focused on something, wasn't he? He wasn't laser focused on seeing what his eyes could see. His laser focus was on Jesus. He goes and he, he, he follows him. Bartimaeus, in this sense, he seems to be like this, at the end of this teaching on discipleship, he seems to be this a great example of what a disciple really looks like. He seems to be this uh, great example, uh, kind of capping off Jesus' teaching on, on discipleship and kind of fulfilling those words that he said back towards the beginning of this section of Mark in verse 34 of chapter 8. You remember the words, and we've said them over and over over the past few weeks. And that's because, in a sense, Jesus has been saying the same thing over and over, and he's been trying to get his disciples and get us to understand it. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. You see, Bartimaeus did what the rich young man failed to do. And he seems to also have done what the disciples still are kind of not fully grasping, they're, they're still seeing trees walking. He's come like a little child. He's come like a little child. He's, he's come with empty hands. He's come knowing his, his desperate need. And he abandons what little he has to follow Jesus. A wonderful picture of a true disciple of one who has truly been cured by the great king. Now we've been hearing over and over these past quite a few weeks now, and you may be tired of hearing it about this just radical, radical call of discipleship. This radical call that we've been seeing since that first blind man was healed. As Jesus has been trying to help his disciples to see where he must go, that he must suffer, and then what it's going to be like for them to follow the suffering king. The king that was going to his death. It's a, and, and what we've been hearing is a radical call. And I know it's difficult for us to hear at times. But the incredible thing, he's not asking us to go anywhere that he hasn't already gone. Right? He's asking us to follow in his footsteps. He bids us to to walk in his footsteps and make sure you understand this. He bids bids us to walk in his footsteps, not so that we can be saved. He bids us to walk in our footsteps because we have been saved. Because the cure has been given. Because he suffered and died so that sins could be washed away. Do we get it? Do we understand it? We truly understand. So he asks that question, that question that you and I need to be pondering now and need to be thinking about what do you want me to do for you? Question that he first asked James and John. 
Question that he then asks the blind Bartimaeus. I wasn't going to say this, and I probably shouldn't, because if I've crossed it out here, it probably means I shouldn't say it. But I'm going to anyway. Um, And I could be totally wrong. I couldn't find anybody that said this, so I probably am. But the positioning of this story right after that interaction with James and John as they're, they're seeking to be first in the kingdom, right? And what does Jesus tell them? The first will be last. The last will be first. We see them answering this question of Jesus and, and how they're wanting, in a sense, some prestige and prominence. They, they don't quite get it all. They're, they're still not seen completely clearly. And then we see Bartimaeus. We see his response. And it makes me wonder... Is Bartimaeus first? Now, maybe he not, may not be the very first, but do you understand what I'm saying? That this blind man, this blind beggar, maybe he's first or close to first in the kingdom. There's a wonderful story. Uh, I don't know if you know the names John Wesley and George Whitfield, um, but two prominent evangelicals and couple of centuries ago they were friends for a long time and then they their 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 friendship got ruptured some because of theological arguments between the two of them uh, particularly over what grace really meant and George Whitfield died first somebody came and they asked John Wesley do you expect to see George Whitfield in heaven and John Wesley paused for a moment and he said no I don't think so. And the person was like kind of taken aback there for a minute. And then this is what he said. Do not misunderstand me, madam. George Whitfield was so bright a star in the firmament of God's glory and will stand so near the throne that one like me will never catch a glimpse of him. Now, regardless of where John Wesley or George Whitfield are in proximity to the throne, I I don't want to even think about. But I do wonder about Bartimaeus. The simple man who saw, who had spiritual eyes to see the king before him. Jesus comes and he asks us, what do you want me to do for you? Are you coming to him? for prestige and prominence? Or are you coming to the king because you know you need his healing hands in your life? I'm not talking about physical healing necessarily, but the brokenness, brokenness that we all experience in our lives. That struggle that you and I still have. Because we still so often see sin taking a hold of our lives and we need the healing hands of the king. Do you know your desperate need for that right now? And that you need it just as desperately as the blind beggar on the side of the road. Call before us all this morning is to come as those who are needy. To come crying with Bartimaeus, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me.
Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? Do you want stuff from him? Or do you want him? What would your response be? Let's pray. Father, it's, this is hard. Hard to be reminded of, of how blind we can be and how blind we so often are. Oh, would you help us as we, as we go into our week even, would you help us to truly understand, truly know, truly comprehend how needy we are. how much we need the healing hands of the king right now. Would you help through the work of Holy Spirit in our hearts? Would you help to convince us of our neediness and help us to run to you? Help us to willingly leave behind things that we may need to leave behind, whether that's literally or just figuratively. But would you help us to leave behind those other things that we look to for our security and help us to run, help us to, to run to the King and run into your healing hands. We thank you for your word for us this morning. We pray that it has not gone out empty and that you are at work changing our hearts, calling us more and more to you. And we pray this all in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs>